welcome to our Mason Hayes and Curran Law Podcast. My name is Melanie Crowley. For those of you who don't know me already, I am the head of the Employment and Benefits Practice in Mason Hayes and Curran. Um, my role this morning is brief. <laughs> my only job is to welcome all of our attendees. This is our third top tips of 2021. In February, we looked at living with remote working. In April, we looked at the top five HR challenges um, for practitioners. All of those challenges came from you, all of our clients and friends um, who've attended our top tips before via the survey monkey, which you're actually going to get again at the end of this webinar. So if you things that you'd like us to cover, please feel free to pop them in there and any feedback that you have as well. There are recordings of all of our top tips to date, well, over the course of the last year, since we started doing them remotely, um, on uh, available remotely. They are on our YouTube channel, um, which we're very excited about. Uh, that's available at www.mhc.ie forward slash YouTube. And today we're actually live streaming um, this top tip sessions. And again, we're actually very excited about that because it's the first time we've live streamed this session via YouTube. Um, I want to take this opportunity. I've already mentioned the survey you're going to get at the end, but at the bottom of your screens is the Q&A function. Um, if you have any questions you'd like to put to today's panelists, please put them in there and Ger will try and uh, get through them or as many of them as you can towards the end of the session. Um, all that remains now is for me to introduce you to our speakers for today. Um, my job, I'm handing over to my partner, Ger Connolly. He's going to chair today's session and he is joined by two of the absolutely fantastic solicitors from the team, Katie O'Connell and Naomi, Pan Naomi Pollock. So over to you, Ger. Thanks, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great that we're live streaming. We have an official record of Katie and Naomi being being fantastic. Um, we have a lot to cover. The first thing we're going to do is a survey, actually, and we'll give the results at the very end. So the survey should pop up on your screen now. Uh, and there is four questions. So it is um, if you fill out, just click yes or no. The first question is, is your organization prepared for a return to the office? Yes or no? The second question is, do you believe that social distance, distancing in office should be reduced from one meter uh, from the current two meters? Question number three is, are you planning a staggered start and finish times to allow your employees to avoid public transport during rush hour? And the final question is, Will some employees simply refuse to return to work? So we'll afford everyone just a few more seconds to click yes or no. And um, it'll be interesting to see what your thoughts on these questions are, because these are some of the ones that we are obviously um, get asked on a pretty regular basis. And at the end, uh, we'll give the feedback or we'll give you the results of what was uh, said. And um, we're not the very my screen won't move for one second. Oh, oh, sorry, there we are. There we go. Um, so we have a lot of topics to cover today, including vaccinations and returns to work. But we're going to first start, start with Katie. 
And Katie, in particular, we are hearing a lot about two dates, the 20th of September and the 22nd of October. And I'm, not, I'm sure a lot of people are listening are inundated with everyone saying, when are you going back to the office? Can you explain what is the, the significance of both these dates, the 20th of September and the 22nd of October? Yeah, no problem. Obviously, it is confusing with all the different advice, but I mean, fundamentally, from the 20th of September, uh, attendance at work for specific business reasons can commence on a phased and staggered basis. So it's not a general return to the offices from September. It's limited to situations where there are business reasons for the employees to be back. And the government has said that their attendance should either be on a flexible or staggered working arrangement to reduce the spread of COVID at work. All existing public health measures in relation to things like the use of masks, the need for ventilation, the need to physically distance, all of those measures remain in place throughout September until at least the 22nd of October. And then on the 22nd of October, we're going to see a much broader easing of restrictions and a more general return to the offices for all employees. Now, it will be subject to public health advice in place at the time, but the government has said in that regard that it anticipates that almost all COVID restrictions will be lifted at that date, including the need to physically distance. So that's going to be really important for employers. We anticipate there will be updated um, health and safety advice for employers in relation to what happens beyond October. So we're waiting to see that, but definitely a more general and broader return to the office from the 22nd of October, obviously subject to the public health situation not completely imploding between now and that date, but I think at least with the vaccination stats where they are, we can all be a bit more optimistic than where we were this time last year. Okay, so that's good to know that we effectively have two, two, two kind of checkpoint dates, um, the 20th of September, which kind of a phase, and we're all hoping by the 22nd of October that we'll have, um, I won't say, Normality, I hear used a lot, but I'm, I don't think it, there's going to, it's probably a new normality. But Naomi, that brings us on to the obvious question in that in relation to vaccinations, because if we have our workforce going back into the office, and we also, if you look at the statistics, 85% of the population is, um, is vaccinated. So you would have to assume that there is perhaps 10% of the, or 10 to 15% of the population that simply does not want to get vaccinated. So it begs the question is, if you are an employer, can you ask about the vaccination status of your employees? Thank you, Chair. And um, the answer is no, that employers in Ireland should not be asking their employees about their vaccination status. And I appreciate that seems like quite a strange position, particularly given at the moment, and in order to eat inside a restaurant or to have a drink inside a bar, it's necessary for people to show proof of their vaccination. The reason for this though is in Ireland, and I know, sorry, we're seeing reports of the US bringing in potentially mandates and vaccines before returning to work and um, requirements like that, but the situation is very different here. The Irish constitution protects the right to bodily integrity. So that is the right not to have your body unjustifiably interfered with. And that basically means that the government is extremely unlikely to introduce any legislation or mandate here requiring that uh, persons be vaccinated or indeed employees be vaccinated before returning to work. And even if they did, um, it is likely that any such legislation would fail if it was um, challenged before the courts on the basis of that right to bodily integrity. Another really important point on that is that recently, the Irish Data Protection Commissioner published guidance, 
which essentially says that employers cannot ask employees about their vaccination status. And the reason for that is because vaccination status is a personal health data, and that's a special category data under the GDPR. And so it's afforded additional data protections, or additional protections under data protection law. And the Data Protection Commissioner in her advice also points to the fact that the Work Safety Protocol, which is the advice that the government has published on preparing um, for the return to work, does not identify vaccination as a necessary health and safety measure, but rather it emphasises that vaccination is a voluntary decision for employees. Now, the Data Protection Commissioner does note that there are exceptions to that, um, you know, where there might be a workplace that does identify vaccination as a necessary health and safety measure. But the example that she gives is the context of frontline healthcare services. So in theory, an employer could carry out a risk assessment to check whether it is necessary for their workplace to require that employees are vaccinated or that they disclose their vaccination status. And it could be that it is identified to be a necessary measure and that a policy in that regard is adopted. But we think um, it will be quite difficult to justify a policy unless there is a very strong health and safety justification, like perhaps in the context of frontline services. Um, and of course, there is a risk that if that policy is introduced, that an employee could submit a complaint to the Data Protection Commissioner um, and a prosecution could occur on the basis that health data is unlawfully being processed. So we, we kind of ended up now in a situation where you can't go to a restaurant uh, or you can't gain access to an indoor restaurant without showing your certificate yet you can come back into the workforce without the employer being able to or carry out any or checks or even ask for the status that's that seems where that that if, if, if i'm correct that's the position we've ended we've ended up in as of today yeah that's exactly the position and you know we appreciate that is quite difficult for employ employers and there might be situations where an employer you know um, cannot ask their employee about their vaccination status for the purposes of them coming to work but that employee actually comes into the restaurant that they work in that night and the employer will need to ask them for proof of their vaccination then so that they can eat inside and this is of course going to lead to situations where employers might inadvertently become aware of an employee's vaccination status without actually asking about it in the context of their employment. And in those situations, employers just need to be really careful about what they do with that information, as in they should not do anything with that information. Um, and that's because if an employee feels that, you know, they are being treated differently because of their vaccination status and they know their employer knows about their vaccination status, there is a risk they could bring a claim to the Workplace Relations Commission um, for example, they could bring an equality claim. They mightn't have had the vaccine because of religious reasons or perhaps um, because of a disability. You know, they might have an underlying condition, which meant that they had a bad reaction to the first dose and were medically recommended not to have the second dose. Um, and because of being treated differently due to not having a vaccine, they are actually being treated differently due to their religious or religious beliefs or due to their disability. Another type of claim they could bring is a constructive dismissal claim where they have to where they say that they actually had to resign from their employment. And the reason they had to do that was because it was no longer possible for them to work for their employer, where maybe they felt like their employer was trying to force them into having the vaccine 
or perhaps they felt like they were being bullied in the workplace because their colleagues knew um, that they weren't vaccinated or about their views on vaccinations. It raises a very interesting point where we actually gather data by accident or inadvertently or through the process of elimination. You find out someone who's non-vaccinated and the consequences that flow from that. Um, and it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting take of where people just simply actually can't be vaccinated or want to be vaccinated, but how ultimately the workforce treats those individuals. Um, Katie, back to you then, because we then have a situation. So we have the two dates. We have September, if you want to call it, let's just call it the trial period of people coming back to the office. But as of today, there's a very set 20, you know, the 28th of October, we have a very much um, business as usual, but certainly it's more encouraging of employers to, have far to allow the, the, you know, their, their employees to come back. So from an employment point of view, what should employers be thinking about over the next few weeks? I think the starting point for every employer has to be the government's work safety protocol and that document sets out the minimum requirements needed in every workplace across all sectors to prevent and reduce the spread of COVID at work. So if you're an employer and you haven't read the protocol, you need to. It's a living document, so it's regularly updated in light of public health advice. It was last updated in June and we're expecting a further update probably before that October 22nd date. But as of just last week, the government confirmed that as drafted, the protocol remains essential for employers. And the Health and Safety Authority, hate to say, has also published a really helpful checklist for employers, a return to work checklist based on the protocol. And the government has said that that checklist in conjunction with the protocol should be the starting point for all employers. And then I suppose practically what do you actually have to do? Well, the first thing every employer is going to have to do is to carry out an updated risk assessment of their business and their working practices. And on foot of that assessment, they're going to need to uh, identify and, and implement infection prevention and controlled or IPC measures to prevent the spread of COVID. And that needs to be done in conjunction with their health and safety consultant if they have one. And most employers at the moment have engaged health and safety consultants and lead worker representatives. And the protocol provides that every employer must appoint at least one lead worker representative, but a proportionate number to the number of employees in their business. And their role is to assist and um, encourage the employer in the implementation of their IPC measures. And I suppose those measures will depend on the business, but very practically, if you haven't had employees into the office for a number of months, the first thing you're going to need to do is kind of wake up the building. So it's going to need a deep clean. You're going to need to check your air systems, your water systems, Regionella. You're going to need to look at the things like in the introduction of physical distancing. You may need to erect screens or barriers, you know, at the reception desk, introduction of one-way systems. There's going to be a lot of hand sanitizer required throughout the building a lot of posters and signs for employees, and the protocol really encourages that. Reminding people about the signs and symptoms of COVID, proper hygiene etiquette and hand washing technique, which I hope we all know by now, but sometimes we need a bit of reminding. And you can get uh, template posters you can download from the HSE website, so that's really helpful. And you also need to look at things like, you'll need to require all employees to complete a pre-return to work form. Um, at least three days before they come back into the office, confirming that they aren't symptomatic or awaiting test results. And again, that form is available from the HSA website. And because this return, certainly in September, is on a flexible basis initially, you need to think about how employees are going to come back. Can you stagger start and finish times to prevent you know, rush hour or everyone arriving in at the same time? Can you limit access to communal facilities or limit the occupancy of the building or certain meeting rooms? 
So that's all the type of things that you need to be looking at. But crucially, once you kind of identify all of your IPC measures, you need to communicate them to employees and provide them with training in relation to those procedures, because there's no point in paying a health and safety consultant a whole load of money to come up or to help you develop a really comprehensive COVID response plan if employees aren't aware of it and haven't received training on that. So that needs to happen now. And that's kind of the health and safety side of things, but you also need, then need to be looking at the employment law side of things. So you know, because we're looking at flexible working arrangements, you need to think about who's going to come back on what basis are they coming back and they're going to work certain days or different times and if you are changing um, terms and conditions of employment in relation to start times finish time, times etc that requires consultation and may require consent as well so you want to be starting all of that process now and not on the 19th of september or certainly on the 21st of october and then i see a few other things if any employees have been on layoff over the last couple of months you need to write to them formally now to tell them that layoff is coming to an end and that work is available and then finally, you need to be planning for the long term. So not just this kind of transitional phase, but what happens post-October. And the government is really promoting the use of remote working strategies, not just now, but into the future. So if you're inclined to facilitate some form of remote working, and most employers are really looking at that at the moment, we're certainly getting lots of queries about it from our clients. But if you are inclined to do that, you should have a formal policy in place. So you want to start developing that now and communicating it to employees. And if you are looking at enforcing some form of remote working, and again, that's something that a lot of employers are looking at. For an office-based worker, that's a fundamental change to someone's terms and conditions of employment. So again, you need consultation and potentially consent, consent failing which you could be looking at employee grievances and employee claims. So that all needs to be happening now, certainly consultation with employees now and not on the 19th of September and not on the 21st of October. So it just seems that there's a like there's a huge body of work to be done between now and if and the 21st of October if you want to be adequately prepared and if we divide it into two it seems to be there's that kind of that the physical setup of an office in terms of you know screens and signage and things like that uh, but also then you have if you want to call it the remote working can the things we need to do with in terms of the kind of more formalized remote working and um, because a lot of us have simply left an office over 18 months ago and contracts have not been amended. And we're all waiting for this date, which was the date of the return. But I, I think I think from every single survey that I've seen, very few offices want to return to full capacity five days a week. I think so a hybrid, hybrid remote working policy is certainly has to be high up on people's list. Just until the this is again i'm finding this slightly confusing and i'm sure a lot of the audience are as well we are seeing you know scary statistics at the moment in relation to schools that there is either someplace between 12 and 16,000 children out of schools uh on ledgery on monday was the the highest rate of testing done in 23,000 people were tested on on monday in uh in, in ireland so What's the current rules in relation to positive cases and close contacts, particularly now, and how should an employer uh, deal with this? Because effectively, the, the, the workplace now will be, in a, in a nice term, will be like mini schools or mini pods. Nice, nice, easy question there, Derek. Um, yeah, the, the advice is confusing and constantly being updated, but at the moment, anyone who tests positive for COVID, regardless of whether or not you are vaccinated or you're symptomatic, you have to self-isolate. And the isolation period will depend on whether or not their the length will depend on whether or not they're symptomatic. Um, but obviously, if they're 
self-isolating and they're unable to work for that obviously because they're unwell or because they can't work remotely then you treat them with uh, using the company's sickness absence policy as normal you either pay them or you don't pay them in accordance with their six paid procedures you advise them of the public health advice in place and tell them to contact their gp um, before they're permitted to come back into the workplace you should be requiring them first of all to provide a cert from the gp confirming that they're fit to return and you need them to complete an up-to-date return to work certificate confirming that they've been symptom-free for at least 48 hours and that they're not awaiting test results. For close contacts, the advice, close contacts of positive cases, and there's different rules for close contacts of positive cases and suspected cases, but a close contact of a positive case um, depends on whether or not the person is fully vaccinated or not. If they're fully vaccinated and they're not symptomatic, happy days, you don't have to restrict your movement, you have a lot more flexibility, so yay. Um, if you are close contact and you're not fully vaccinated, then you need to restrict your movements and undertake testing. And even if you are vaccinated, if you're symptomatic, then you need to restrict your movements and take testing. And then whether or not you need to actually formally self-isolate depends on the result of your COVID test. So it's messy, it's complicated. The HSA website has some really helpful flowcharts for employers that gives you all these different scenarios and tells you exactly what you do in each of the different cases. So I'd have a look at that. I would download it, print out your copy and put it on the desk or the door in HR. It's really helpful. So that's kind of, you know, for actual cases, but I think what you mentioned there in relation to, you know, if your child is a close contact, you're not a close contact, that's difficult what you do when your kid needs to stay at home, you're not close contact, so you're not sick or you're not going under the sickness absence policy, that's a bit messier and employers are going to have to show some flexibility with employees who find themselves in those kind of situations and try to be reasonable in how they deal with them, but it is tricky and yes, it's something we're going to be looking at a lot with the schools reopening. I think I think the top tip to take away from this is uh, would be our advice that an employer designates someone within the organization to, to just simply keep abreast of these changes because there are there are updates, there's changes, there's good information on the HSE website, but I think they need to have a very clear plan of how it works in their own workplace. Um, and also the key thing that you mentioned there is when you're out of work whether or not sick pay will cover this uh, or if your child is deemed a close contact and you're at home and you can't do your job from home what is going to be the policy in re in relation to that so i think for employers there's certainly again it seems that there's a lot of work to do between now and october but i think there's a lot of thinking to do about how you're just going to organize yourself between those period that those periods um naomi back to you for we have seen travel, I think, I don't know what the statistics are, but there appears to be more and more travel happening each week. And I think I, I heard that Ryanair was approaching about 60% of its pre-COVID capacity or travels in August and September, something like 40 million within Europe. So we are definitely seeing more traveling and with more traveling, I assume we are going to see more business travel. So what's the position in relation to sending your staff to business meetings, be it in the UK or, or, or Central Europe? And again, how, how do we deal with, you know, effectively their vaccination status before they travel? Thanks, Ger. Yeah, there certainly is, has been a huge comeback in terms of travel. Um, and I suspect that over the next coming weeks and months, we will see a huge resumption in business travel as well. Um, as regards vaccination, as you know, a lot of countries have requirements about vaccination and how long you need to quarantine for depends on your vaccination status. 
But in the guidance note that the Data Protection Commissioner prepared, she does explicitly reference travel. And she says that it should not be necessary to record an employee's vaccination status for that purpose. Rather, it should be enough just to ask the employee when they will be in a position to return to work. And certainly returning to Ireland, um, if you're not vaccinated, you will need to either quarantine for a period of five days. And if you get a negative PCR test at that point, you can leave quarantine or you will need to quarantine for a full 14 days. And of course, there are still certain countries that are designated states, which mean if you return from those um, and are not vaccinated, you need to mandatory hotel quarantine. And so again, this is kind of putting employees, there's a bit of a difficult situation. Um, by virtue of asking an employee when they can come back to work, um, you may become aware of their vaccination status and it's important um, to not do anything with that information as I outlined previously. Um, of course, this advice and travel might change. Um, as we know, the US at the moment um, is restricting access to persons living in Ireland and the EU that aren't US nationals or permanent residents in the US. Um, and it might be that when they reopen their travel or reduce their travel restrictions that are currently in place, that they do limit um, access to vaccinated persons only. So it's very much a watch this space. And um, it is something to just remind employees that if they are embarking on business travel, that they are aware of the quarantine requirements in either the destination state or the requirements that might apply um, when they return to Ireland. And certainly these are changing all the time. And it is something, you know, that if going back to your top tip, you do have a designated person keeping an eye on all these updates that they should be cognizant of as well. And um, because it certainly is something that probably will change quite a bit over the coming weeks, too. You just look at the madness of that question of, you know, I can't ask you about your vaccination status, but I can ask you when you're ready to return to work. And, you know, in, in that way, the employer just gets the same, gets the information, albeit in, 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 in a different, in a different route. But I suppose it, it, it is what it is in terms of, uh, terms of that. But again, I think it's a, you know, travel is going to increase. And I think, again, it's kind of like as, as we return to the office, as we look at the, the rules around co close contacts, tr uh, travel, it, there's so much information we just have to be, become uh, attuned to uh, that before we even contemplate sending off anyone. Um, this is something that we have seen in the last number of weeks is, and I, it's, it's deliberately a very difficult question, is that we know certain countries you can only get into if you have been vaccinated. I think Malta is one that actually, you, if, you don't, if you're not vaccinated, I don't believe you can enter, enter Malta. Um, and it then, of course, if you're only entering, there people declaring vaccinated only sites. So the question is this is one, have you come across this situation where an employer is simply saying for subcontractors and for third parties and their own employees, we only want vaccinated people to enter this site and where they're asking their contractors, please send me vaccinated people only. Yeah, so this is a question we're seeing quite a lot of actually over the past few days, and I think it's something that's going to rear its head a lot now in advance of the return to work phase one starting from next Monday. Um, but basically the first thing to note is that the Data Protection Commissioner guidance, which I keep referring to, um, it does extend to employees and to workers. So workers does include contractors. Now, it doesn't explicitly reference site visitors, and I know we're getting a lot of questions about that. 
But we do think it would be very difficult to argue that the logic that um, asking about vaccination status not being a necessary health and safety measure for the purposes of employees returning to work, we think it'd be very difficult to argue that that would not apply to site visitors um, or indeed to any other persons that might be attending um, at the workplace. So it's a very tricky one, and it is probably going to be one that needs to be assessed on a case by case basis. You know, as I said, it might be a circumstance where um, a risk assessment is carried out and site specific advice is given, saying that actually, yes, vaccination is a necessary health and safety measure for that site. But again, we think those circumstances are going to be very limited um, and you will definitely need to have clear evidence in place showing that that is the case if that is a route that an employer wants to go down. So it's very much a watch this space thing. Another thing to bear in mind is that, um, as Katie mentioned, from the 22nd of October, it's envisaged that in general restrictions are actually going to end and that will mean actually that we won't need to show proof of vaccination if we want to dine indoors. It might mean, and you know, this obviously hasn't been confirmed yet, but it might mean that physical distancing will no longer be required in the workplace. So it will be interesting um, to see what effect that will have um, on the position taken as towards vaccination sites, because if you're saying that physical distancing is not needed for a workplace, it's going to be quite difficult to say that vaccination um, is a necessary health and safety measure. So it's a very much watch this space and a moving thing. Hopefully it will be a less of an issue in a few weeks time, but we'll just have to wait and see. I can tell you it's not an, uh, it's not going to be an issue. Uh, it's not going to die down. We have 35 questions and I, um, I'd say about 30 of them deal with vaccination and the frustration of not being able to ask about vaccination status. But uh, now we've 36 actually and there's another vaccination question. So I think there's a there's a, a, a huge frustration amongst employers basically about uh, vaccinations. But we'll come back to the questions in one moment. Um, what we're going to do now is we're just going to do the results of the survey. Um, and then I will try to pick out the various themes, but a lot of them are to do with, uh, with, with vaccination. So the results of the survey, Sinead, we'll just put them up on our screen first. Here we go. So in relation to question one, is your organization prepared for return to the office? 70% said yes and 30% said no. So it will be it would be interesting if we ran the same question again, having listened to Katie and if you want the the, actually the, the, the body of work that has been has to be done. But I think it has been offices may have been operating on a somewhat small capacity over the, the last number of months and maybe signage and things like that. And they've got used to various things. But 70 percent, I think, is a is, 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 is a is a good number in relation to question two. Do you believe the social distancing office should be reduced to one meter? Yes, for 68 percent. No, for 32 percent. So you have a two thirds, one third. And that's an interesting when you think about it is that it would appear like like when we go to restaurants, we now look at the distance between tables and some people are comfortable and some people are less comfortable in relation to um, social distancing. Um, in relation to number three, are you planning to stagger your start and finish times to allow employees to avoid public transport? 
yes, we're about at a 50-50 split there, no for the rest. So we have basically, it will be interesting, particularly we're all obsessed, we're all obsessed with traffic anyway, but uh, traffic and weather in Ireland. But now we're going to ultimately be obsessed with traffic, weather, and uh, the, the capacity on public transport. Um, from my from my limited in and out of the office, I think traffic is building. So it'd be interesting to see from October onwards, do we get back to our old uh, old gridlock or is capacity on the darts uh, and buses? Are they just, I think they're back to full capacity, but whether or not they will actually, but it's interesting that's 50-50. And then will some employees simply refuse to return to work? Interestingly enough, um, and we have that simply yes, one, you know, two thirds of people. And I think when you're answering this question, you think about certain people in your offices who you think just are just going to say no, uh, or maybe you're one of those people where you could basically form the view that yes, working from home is between lifestyle choices and productivity. Um, I, there's a saying what office for collaboration and home for productivity. I've heard that quite a lot over the, the, the last while. Um, one of the questions, and so it's, they're very interesting statistics. You can see in terms of a lot of the answers are two thirds, one third. Um, but in terms of some of the questions, and we have, unfortunately, well, fortunately, uh, clearly we, we stumbled across uh, interesting topics. We have over 40 questions. But for you, um, Katie, one of the more common questions is probably two parts of the questions is one, do, what, what's the position in relation to masks? And the second, which kind of the card that kind of join up with each other is, can you as an employer elect to have all these, all these measures or retain the existing measures such as small capacity, two meter distancing. So an employer themselves elects to continue on with, if you want to call it the current measures. So in relation to masks first, uh, yes, you can require a mask to be worn in certain circumstances, but where it's been identified as a necessary measure on footing risk assessment, and you'll be in a better position to stand over that requirement if you have taken independent advice from a health and safety consultant. So the protocol expressly um, recommends that employers adhere to public health advice in relation to the wearing of masks, and the advice is that masks should be worn in crowded workplaces and that they should be made available to employees where physical distancing of two meters isn't possible. And where you provide masks to employees, you also have to provide them with training on how to properly use them, how to dispose of them. There's also various circumstances where masks must be provided to employees. So if someone becomes unwell or symptomatic at work, they have to be given a mask. And likewise, anyone dealing with them needs appropriate PPE, so mask and gloves. So if you have health and safety advice to the effect that masks should be worn, then yes, you can implement that. But be reasonable. If someone refuses to wear a mask, you know, um, engage with them if they have, you know, a medical reason, for example, as to why they're not comfortable, if they can't wear it, then obviously don't discipline them, try to understand that and the, deal with that. But if someone completely unjustifiably refuses to wear a mask and you have policies and procedures requiring a mask, then you have the disciplinary procedure available to you. But you'll be in a better position to stand over any mask wearing requirement where you have advice from a health and safety consultant to support your view that that's necessary and put a risk assessment. So you can't just decide, I like masks, everyone has to wear a mask. There has to be a reasoning and a, a justifiable basis for that requirement in your organization. And yes, you can um, continue those measures going forward after the 22nd of October, subject to the public health advice in place at the time. But again, if there isn't a requirement to wear masks, although it looks like the mask wearing requirement or advice will probably continue post-October, um, but even if it was lifted, um, you could continue a requirement to your own business to have masks if you have specific 
health and safety advice or reasoning or a legitimate basis for that requirement within your business. And then in relation to other health and safety measures, um, yeah, employers are required to do everything reasonably practical to protect the health and safety of their employees. So if having carried out your own risk assessment, you think it's necessary to take additional measures to protect your employees, and again, that you have health and safety or legitimate evidence to that effect, then yes, you can absolutely put in place measures, but um, you just need to be able to stand over and explain why they're necessary and reasonable. And you'll need to do that um, in light of the public health advice that's available at the time. So we have to see what the public health advice says, and that will depend on how strong your position will be to stand over your obligations. Okay. One of the just questions there, will you just repeat, uh, Katie, where the websites, where the protocols and things, people, so people just are again aware of where yeah, so the, what, the, what documents they're looking for and where to find them? Yeah, so the HSA, so the Health and Safety Authority, or HSA.ie, has um, various sections. They have a section on their website for businesses and employers and a section for employees. And the section for business and employers has lots of advice in relation to COVID. So it has sample template posters, your return to work checklist. It has a sample COVID-19 response plan that helps you get together um, how you're going to carry out your risk assessment. So there's lots of really helpful, really useful, useful information for employers there, including the um, flow charts for how you deal with suspected cases or close contact cases of COVID within your workplace. Naomi, uh, vaccination is, is by far the kind of, the, I'm frankly asking people's status, but this was one interesting question, just sorry, there's lots of interest, but one in particular is that if you're hosting an event, so this time in maybe November or December, if Mason Hayes is hosting its next top tips, can, the, can we ask for people's vaccination status prior to entering into the building? That's an interesting one, and I suppose it's another example of where worlds are colliding um, in that if, and it might be at that time, we anticipate anyway, that indoor venues won't actually be asking for proof of vaccination status anymore. But say if that event was to happen right now, obviously the advice is that an employer should not be asking about vaccination status, but in a venue for an indoor gathering will have to ask about it. So I suppose in that context, really, it shouldn't be the employer that's asking, it should be the venue that's asking about it. But this situation is probably going to massively change over the next four weeks. And it is anticipated that um, it will no longer be necessary to have proof of vaccination for indoor events. So I would suggest not having any indoor events until at least the 22nd of October. And the guidance will actually probably be quite different at that point. And it will be interesting to see if um, you know there is updated guidance published either by the Data Protection Commissioner or Indeed, um, we anticipate that the government will update the work safety protocol before the 22nd of October. So it will be interesting to see if questions like that are addressed. Okay. It's a, just, there's a huge amount of questions in relation to, if you want to call it, an employer's obligation to medically vulnerable people. So, and, and like, for example, there's one question, um, how do you deal with staff concerns for their safety in relation to when it's revealed or they discover that another staff member who was not vaccinated. And this, we don't have the answers to all these questions because obviously you're not allowed to ask, but it seems that it will bubble to the surface quite quickly who is vaccinated or non-vaccinated. And travel is one of the, 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 the anomalies there in terms of, um, in terms of you effectively can, can find out. Um, but the, one of the questions has been 
asked uh, Naomi is that, can I ask about a vaccination status, but do not keep a copy of the records? So effectively, that person is asking, I'm not processing the data, I'm getting a, a I'm getting knowledge, but I'm, we, we all know kind of from a data privacy point of view, there's always things about processing and non-processing. -process, so just so we're clear in, on, on what our position is, it's that, on that, can you ask but not keep a record? In our view, the DPC guidance means that you cannot ask about employee status. And I know you can say, oh, we won't keep a record of it, but it can spiral into difficult situations where there does end up being email correspondence talking about someone's vaccination status or not. And it is just something to make sure that you don't have any of that information. Um, and there are situations, I suppose, if you do find yourself in a situation where you do have any type of record of that data, you should really get um, specific data privacy advice on what to do. Okay. Um, there's there's a lot of questions as well about kind of hybrid working and what, what employers, Katie, should do about hybrid working. Um, and I think if you, we just give people a flavor of what we believe should be, because you, you, you did cover it in your, in that we are fundamentally changing probably work practices, but it also goes to the root of a person's contract or employment. So from what an employer's point of view, what would you re recommend if you want to call it in terms of the papering of this kind of, of this arrangement? Yeah, so if you're going to offer remote working going forward, then I think, first of all, you need to have a formal policy in place. And that policy should set out how someone can apply to work remotely and the different conditions that will apply because um, you, know, you want to have some flexibility as an employer to, you know, if it's not working out, you might want to cancel that policy. So it might be on a temporary basis or there might be a trial period before it becomes permanent. Any permanent changes to terms and conditions of employment need to be documented under the Terms of Employment Information Act. So you need a formal contract amendment. So first of all, you'd want your policy in place. And then if you decide on foot of someone's successful trial period or under the policy, they're going to re work remotely permanently, then you need a formal contract amendment. Um, so I think policy is the first place, communication to employees and have a system in place whereby employees apply and you have a system for dealing with applications and how you're going to treat remote working um, applications. If you are going to enforce some form of remote working, then I think you need to be consulting with employees now um, because, because it is change the terms and conditions of employment. So you need to be engaging with them and trying to understand any concerns that they have and trying to get them on board before forcing through a change without their consent, because doing that, as I said earlier, gives rise to a risk of claims. But a policy is the first step and you really want to be working on that now. Okay, um, I, we've, reached the, we've reached the end because that's as many questions as we could fit in. There is a, a huge amount of questions. There's a huge amount of um, issues in relation to vaccinations and I think perhaps that's that, that might dominate uh, certainly return to work and it'll be interesting between now and October whether the protocol guidelines about social distancing mask wearing and all things like that change but also we will have to um, deal with there's questions in relation there is that is it reasonable for me to ask someone to travel at the moment and they they are they're they're you know those questions will take half an hour to answer about what's reasonable and not reasonable and the reasons for travel and things like that. Um, I'd like to thank Katie and Naomi uh, for their for their helpful insights this morning. Um, by virtue of it's over 50 questions now on, on the topics that we discussed. So obviously we are people, you know, people are engaged on, on these topics. And I think more than ever, 
going back to the office has now become a, a bigger reality than, you know, it was mooted last year, but I think there is certainly, um, there's a more firm commitment from the government in terms of, you know, even 40,000 went to Croke Park the other day to, to watch the All-Ireland final. So we are definitely seeing the more opening of the uh, workplace. We are definitely going to see more interesting from an employment like point of view, but novel concepts in relation to vaccinated, non-vaccinated, medically vulnerable people, and the age-old question of simply the belligerent employee who doesn't want to come back to the, to the workplace, or employees who have now believed that it's unreasonable for them to return to the workplace because they're, they're, they're performing their jobs. At the very end of our, our talk this morning, the survey monkey is going to pop up on everyone's screens. We would encourage everyone to fill it out because you dictate the topics. So each time after we review how our presentation, we look through and uh, what the topics that people who have logged on this morning want to uh, discuss. And it certainly, uh, we try to pick out the ones that are most popular to, to, to ensure we're given the people that join us exactly um, the, the information that, that needs. So finally, on behalf of Melanie, myself, Katie, and Naomi, I thank you for joining us. And I look forward to seeing you, perhaps in person, all vaccinated uh, uh, towards the end of the year. Thank you. Bye. For more on our events and podcasts, you can visit mhc.ie. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.